The stakes are high and the takes are hot in this midterm election. If losing the battle but winning the war was a person, that is Andrea Campbell right now. I hope everybody who stood against her in that mayoral race, I hope they are watching Tuesday night. We're talking all things politics with Jaquetta Van Zandt of the Politics and Prosecco podcast. Song and dances and, you know, fire and brimstone speeches don't move me. I don't care. I can find that at church every Sunday at Myrtle. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't care about that. I can get that elsewhere. What are you doing that's going to energize me to think that my voting and my rights and, and my values and my life means something to you? Because knowledge is power and power is change. This is Common Narrative. Voters head to the polls on Tuesday with all eyes on the history-making races for governor and the AG's office. And ballot questions could change the way we tax the rich and police the roads. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Common Narrative. I'm Crystal Haynes. You know, we're breaking down all of this with friend to the show and politics powerhouse, Jaquetta Van Zandt of the Politics and Prosecco podcast. All right, Jaquetta Van Zant. Thank you so much for for joining us. Or Jax, I know folks in the in the political space call you Jax. Yes, thanks to Joe Kennedy, but uh, <laughs> but everybody else calls me Jaquetta. It's fine. I don't. We were talking about this being like your Super Bowl, the election yes. season, midterms. It's a big deal. I mean, they're always a big deal, but this this year specifically, as yeah. we talk about, you know, the the divisiveness that happens in the state. I mean, I feel like we can't escape that even though I think a lot of folks in Massachusetts think that we can. Yeah, I think a little bit also is um, this election because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade and because affirmative action is on the table, it's so important to come out and vote. And what we're seeing right now is just like a trickle in with early votes. And that's really scary, especially in states like Georgia, Texas, Florida, where the votes are needed. Here in Massachusetts, yes, we have a, a historical race going on, but I'm so over people getting involved because it's historic. I want them to get involved because these people are qualified and are going to uh, meet the time. Here in Massachusetts, we have pretty much an all-girl band on the constitutional offices outside of William Galvin, who has decided that he's going to live forever in that office, um, unfortunately. But, you know, we pretty much have an all-girl band there. And I think what's at least interesting to me is it's a very diverse group of thought. Um, these are all women who have been leaders in other parts of the state, whether it's on the city council, as you see with Andrea Campbell going from there. And let me just say real quick about Andrea Campbell, if losing the battle, but winning the war was a person that is Andrea Campbell right now. I hope everybody who stood against her in that mayoral race, I hope they are watching Tuesday night. Um, and, and you see the same thing uh, with Maura Healy coming from AG to governor, um, Diana DiZaglio coming from the Senate. So these are all, Kim Driscoll coming from uh, mayor in Salem. These are all women who have civic experience, municipal experience, a state government. This is exactly how you should be ascending up the ladder. You shouldn't just jump. Um, these are all women who have, have made waves and, and been, um, you know, sort of hurdles, uh, hurdle jumpers in their districts and, and cities. And that's exactly what's going to be needed. We need some new, fresh governing with a different lens. 
So that's why I was so surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, in the Secretary of State um, race and yeah. the Democratic nomination going to Bill Galvin after Tanisha Sullivan made this speech at the, the Democratic convention. And it yeah. was amazing. And I thought, oh, well, folks are amped up and she's absolutely gonna get that nomination. What's, well, yeah, I mean, we expected that. Um, in Massachusetts, we play party politics. Um, who the state party decides they want to get behind, whether or not those people meet that 15% threshold, that's who they're going to get behind. And as liberal as Massachusetts thinks it is, um, there are still people who are very ingrained in being gatekeepers, who believe that, you know, someone has put in their time. And so therefore we should back them instead of thinking about what happens in the future. Um, and so, you know, it could be a generational thing. Some people may feel like, listen, I'm not going to be here in 30 years. So, you know, what, what do I care? Um, there needs to be, the, you know, to me, Bill Galvin and, and the whole Tanisha Sullivan race was really about term limits for me. It spoke volumes of how we need term limits and, and we need them across the board. We even need them on the federal government, but Congress makes that decision. Are they going to vote themselves out of a job? No. So um, to me, it spoke that we need term limits because it's not that Bill Galvin is a bad secretary of state. He happens to be a secretary of state in a very liberal state. So he doesn't need to make any, you know, fast moves. We don't need him to be Michael Jordan of voting rights. It, it's just, it, he's not going to do it. It doesn't need to, this is not Florida. This is not Texas. The argument that needed to be made was we need change and we need change for the future. We need people who are going to meet this moment right now. We need people who are going to be focused on the issues at hand that matter and will matter in the next 10 to 15 years. Not someone who's been in office during a time where, you know, the, he met the moment for that time. It's time to go. Um, so, yeah. You know, it, it could, it, there are so many levels to that, that race. And, you know, I consider Tanisha a, a good friend, but I also, she's one of the smartest women I know. She is extremely dedicated to her cause. She's extremely dedicated to the state of Massachusetts. It is unfortunate that people in the party made it clear that she didn't deserve that seat because she hadn't put in the time. That is unfair if they have not seen her record, because she's actually done a lot better than every woman running on this constitutional ticket right now. She has more accolades and more wins under her belt than a lot of them when it comes to community causes. When we're talking about the governor's race, I think a lot of people just think it as a foregone conclusion, but I'm reading these articles where deal supporters and certain Republicans are like, oh no, you know, it ain't over till it's over. And, and then the conversation becomes, <laughs> what, what does concession look like? And, and for the Republicans? Well, yeah, like I mean, like what about line. for the supporters? Like, you know, like his supporters, are they gonna be rabble rousers? Are we, are we gonna see that in Massachusetts? I don't, I don't think they'll be rabble rousers. Um, I do think that the, the GOP side of elections has always been, and this is before Trump, it's always been election fraud. That is what they go to. What I find interesting about that is they talk election fraud, yet they've done most of the redistricting in the last 20 years. So 
if you're creating districts where you are supposed to get most of the votes and people don't come out to vote for you, how is it election fraud? Um, but I will say this. Uh, I wished, and I like Mara Healy and, and I'm obviously going to vote for her, but I wish that more people would have jumped in that race to make it competitive so that there are different thoughts and opinions um, about how Massachusetts should look and be shaped. Um, I do not like for anyone to just walk into an office. I don't think that that's fair. That's, that's really not democracy. Um, however, I will say that um, I think she's extremely lucky it was Jeff Deal, right? We, like Massachusetts is not, we are not, even though there are Trumpers here, we are not going to allow anyone to get on our TV and our local stations and talk crazy nonsense. We're not going to do that. Um, Jeff Deal belongs in a Kentucky or a, a Tennessee or a Mississippi or places like that where there's enough groundswell in that GOP party. There's not, there's not enough of that here. I'm not saying that there aren't Trumpers here because I, I ran into a few. Um, and they're in urban areas too. They're not just in like, you know, Western Mass. There, you know, there's some in Quincy. There are some, you know, they're none here in Roxbury, but <laughs> at least I don't know of them. They haven't shown their face. Um, but certainly, you know, I don't think they will be rabble rousers, but they will cry election fraud come Tuesday. Do you think that that's something that Bill Galvin's office is already preparing for now? Yeah, it's something that we had already talked about in the last, in 2020. So there's already mechanisms in place, policies in place to prove that that's wrong and that that doesn't happen here. It's been proven across the country. They just, you know, you, you believe what you want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know, in, and in terms of walking into an office, I mean, I think about um, the AG's uh, race and Andrea Campbell and Jay, uh, McMahon and the name recognition there, I think is a big, is a big factor because I feel like a lot more people know Andrea Campbell because she ran for Boston mayor in by name than Jay McMahon, although he did work in Healy's office. I'm going to tell you what I think helped. It was Elizabeth Warren, Michelle Wu and Kim Janey voting or to endorse the other candidate, right? That was, that was a moment that in my opinion, amplified Andrea Campbell. It backfired on them. Not many people knew who Shannon Liss Reardon was. So it made them pay attention. And the moment they paid attention, they connected Andrea Campbell to the mayoral race. They helped her by endorsing who they thought would take her out. So this is how you know strategy is strategy and petty is petty. What Andrea needed was TV time. She needed people on billboards and she needed, you know, radio ads and all that other stuff. She got all of that for free by Michelle and Elizabeth, Kim Janey, amplifying Shannon Liss Reardon, and it gave Andrea a boost. Politics is about the long game. It is not about the touchdown. And if you're not going for yard for, for field goals and you're only going for touchdowns, you're not going to win the game. It just doesn't work that way. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully someone will get it next time. Um, but I also will say, Andrea, she did have a, she has been running, in my opinion, a very smart race. She has been in places that she knows the votes will come out of. 
She understands that she can't just focus on city areas or gateway cities. Um, and I think that's smart because when you're from Boston, you tend to think all the votes come out of Boston. But on statewide level, none of those votes come out of Boston. Boston does not vote the way Western Mass votes or those rural areas. She understood that. Somebody told her and she got it and she figured it out. And that's what's going to take it to the next level. Now, I will tell you what, this Tuesday will be very indicative of what happens if Elizabeth Warren decides to not run for U.S. Senate again. You're going to see who of this group of winners will decide they want to jump out of that and either run for the Senate or who has been endorsing and who's going to run for the Senate. You know, is that there's there's talk that it could be AP. Then that opens up AP seat. Who's going to want to run for that? Um, I'm sure every city councilor in Boston thinks they are qualified enough to run for the that congressional district. And I'm here to tell you, the majority of them are not. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone's I said God. what I said. That's at true. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. I, I, I have the take. Listen. I am ready. <laughs> Don't come it. for the queen and miss. <laughs> Just a second. This is why this is why I love talking to you about politics because it's always no holds barred. I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hold on one second. Someone's at my door. Hold on a second. Okay. We're fine. Perfect. So I mean, um, in in talking about, I'm we're talking about voters as well because I feel like there's been so much discussion about whether you can just count on the same old same old folks to come out every single time. Youth voters were so energized in the last cycle. I think the Dobbs decision continues to energize them. But in Massachusetts, what's bringing young folks to the polls? Well, um, we've had voter apathy for the past two, three cycles, I think. Um, so if you go back to the presidential in 2020, we had a Senator who was from here who was running. She came in fifth in the state. Um, there still wasn't enough of a groundswell in communities of color to come out and vote um, in that final election. Then there was the mayoral race. Barely anybody came out to vote for that. And what I heard when we were doing surveys around the exit polls is um, they didn't like the nastiness of it. Um, they didn't really, they, they weren't fond of many of the candidates, but they didn't, you know, and then there was, you know, talk about many of those women who sat on the city council and did absolutely nothing. And then they want to run for mayor. Um, and then for this DA race and the sheriff's race, you know, barely anybody came out to vote. You know, to me, a good victory is when you stomp the hell out of your candidate, winning by two to 3% of something or 10%, it's just not enough. Um, so the primary was terrible. Um, and I think what we're seeing is there's no action items given to uh, uh, given to constituents, right? People swoop in only during elections sometimes, and they're not talking about anything that is moving Generation Z, right? Millennials are now the strongest voting power group. And that is because millennials are now adults. They're in their late 30s, early 40s. So they are parents, homeowners, business owners, executives. They think differently than they did when people first started paying attention to millennials. 
the people that they need to energize are these new younger voters who are now in their 20s, which is Gen Z, um, that are making their way. Some are either entry-level or mid-level management. We're in the middle of a recession or, or we're... <laughs> Our economic downturn is happening. Um, we just found out that energy is about to go up 66%. These kids can barely afford rent. Um, they can't eat, play, and work in the same area. They're all over the place. There's no unity amongst them because there's no unity in, in their talking points from elected officials. So if I was somebody who was 23, 24, and my life consists of just me partying and eating all the time, why would I be concerned about politics? You've made it very clear, I can't have unprotected sex and go get an abortion. You've made it very clear that if I am a person of color or an immigrant, I may not be able to get into a space at a college or, or at the workspace. What are you doing for me that makes me wanna think that you're aligning with my values and that you actually care about me? Nothing. Um, and we're still dealing with constant rhetoric. People actually, the core, of humanity, people don't want to, to be in the middle of consternation all the time. That is what you see when you turn on CNN and Fox and MSNBC, it's this constant back and forth. So these kids are just like, what is the point? And, and they're right. There's nothing exciting about any elected official currently right now, nothing exciting about them, nothing moves them. Song and dances and you know, fire and brimstone speeches don't move me, I don't care. I can find that at church every Sunday at Myrtle. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't care about that. I can get that elsewhere. What are you doing that's going to energize me to think that my voting and my rights and, and my values and my life mean something to you? Congress is a part-time job. Yet we got full-time people up there acting as if they don't even have to think about anyone else but themselves. That's a bad place to be in. And I know a lot of people keep going back to our founding fathers and this is what they were thinking. That was a different time. I know that they tried to be um, forward thinking when, when they wrote the constitution and, and, and all the amendments. I know that they were trying to be forward thinking, but they were thinking in a space where women didn't have rights, people of color didn't have rights. Um, and so it, there was at some point that that was going to come to hit the wall. And I think we're at the wall. We don't know how to get over. And it's just not fun. So can we then depend on other voting blocks to come out like Black women, Black men? Um, you know, I mean, the White Housewife, which folks, you know, give a lot uh, a talk about the Latinx vote. Like, can we count on those groups just coming out because we, they've always come out to a certain degree, or do we have to start being more intentional about catering your message to those groups? I think we still need to go back to catering to those messages. Listen, white women vote along their whiteness before they vote along values. Um, Black people tend to vote when they are excited about one issue. Um, and those issues are not always poverty, education, and crime. Um, Latinx voters vote along their religious values. So they tend to vote a little bit along the sides of the Republican agenda. Those are different messages that you have to send to those groups. And it can be one unifying message. You know, white women who live in the suburbs, at the core of who they are, they believe in individual feminist issues. They just can't talk about it out loud. Black women 
from the womb, we've had to be feminists. So those are issues that we talk about all the time. There is a unifying message in there somewhere. It's just finding the right candidate to unify that message, to talk to those white women and say, listen, healthcare is a family issue. You have children, that matters to me. But let me talk to you about women who don't look like you, who have high maternal uh, mortality rates. That's important too. How does that impact your community? And how do you impact theirs? No one is actually talking about that. They're, they're, they're talking in circles as if we all believe in the same thing. I certainly don't believe in the same things you believe in, Crystal, and you certainly don't believe in the same things I believe in. I, I, I liken this to dating sometimes. There are things I put up with in dating that I know some of my friends would never put up with. And there are certainly men that my friends date. And I'm like, why are you even, this dude is just not even on your level. But there's a unifying message in wanting to be loved, wanting to be cared for, wanting to be attended to. And that's how you bridge the gap. It's the same thing when you talk to millennials versus boomers. We both have the same ideas. We want safe streets to walk on, clean water to drink, sending our school, sending our kids to schools that are safe and that are being, uh, they're being educated by people who actually want to make the future better. There's a unifying message somewhere in there, but elected officials aren't doing that. They are so self-absorbed these days. It's ridiculous. I've never seen more social media mavens than I have on <laughs> in the last like couple of years. And more Black women are running for office, but many are not winning. And you're seeing the melanin wave. As I said two years ago, it's going to come to an end. And it's going to come to an end because there's no pull up. There is, I'm here, and now you got to make your own way. Um, what I saw, I think Ayanna Presley is the only person I've seen dashing across the country endorsing other women of color to whether it's in the Congress or they're in local seats, she has made that a really strong part of her um, messaging when it comes to wanting more people to come out and vote, but also the importance that we can't let this wave stop. Like the, the less of us that are there, the more our issues are on the table and we have no say. Yeah, and I think we see that in a lot of other sectors, um, in terms outside of politics as well, in business spaces yeah. and everything like that. So, in terms of ballot questions, I know that this is probably the most right, the most confusing <laughs> thing for people to understand. But the stakes are super high in some places, like when we talk about the licenses for um, undocumented immigrants. Like that's going to be huge for law enforcement and for the state, and then. The messaging, as we've been talking about, it like they're they're on both sides are is very strong. It's and disgusting. I, on both yeah, sides. and I had a I had a, a panel that I was moderating with a woman from the League of um, Women Voters, and she says we supported uh, the this uh, particular ballot question, and everyone assumed it was a partisan issue, but for us, it's not. It's just supporting, like everything becomes partisan issues when before they, you know, maybe you just vote your kitchen table issues, things like that, but everything is partisan. Yeah. Do you think that that's happening more and more in this election cycle? And are, do you think it'll continue to happen? Yeah, I do. Just because we're so divided. I mean, our democracy is literally tearing at the, it's, it's, it's a bad pair of Spanx right now, right? Like it's just coming apart. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it is. 
it is so terrible how everything has become partisan, right? Let's let's talk about the, the license plates for, for a minute. To me, it's a public safety issue. If I'm on the road and, and you hit my car, I want my car paid for, I want to be able to pay my doctor's bills. I don't care about anything else. Whatever you got going on, how you got here, that's something you got to deal with later on down the road with you and, and the rest of the government. I just want my car paid for. I want to know that you're insured. Um, so for me, it's a public safety issue. But not everybody thinks bird's eye view. Everyone is just thinking like, you know, how can I, how is this aligning with exactly what I needed to and how does it help my rhetoric? I have never seen more liberals be racist than about this issue because it comes down to immigration. And that is how the people on the opposite side of this or opposite from me on the, on the on this issue that's how they have portrayed it in the news and you know someone left a flyer on my uh, doorstep about about the questions and they had circled the one and they said you know no illegal immigrants and it was just like that's not what this is about um i think the 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 more we don't take a stand and hold our elected officials accountable for their actions and their words, we're going to see more divisive issues come to light. Um, and that includes Democrats, because I've heard some, you know, during this last primary, I've never been more disappointed in so many women of color than I have in the city of Boston. And their disrespect, their lack of knowledge, quite frankly, um, their idealism that I stand with my friend, I don't stand with constituents. That has been so disappointing. I didn't elect you for that. I elected you to get up there and follow the rule of law, do what's right. And that's that. So, yeah. What do you, what do you think? Because <laughs> I know you got to run to the next day. No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> what do you think needs to be the takeaway message? If you're a voter that's trying to do the right thing and you're like, who child, this is a lot. Like, <laughs> what do you, what do you, I guess, what do you tell folks who are not as plugged in as you are about this? And they go, Jack's like, I don't know. I don't, you know, like what, I, and a lot of people are opting not to vote at all because they're just, they feel like there's not choices for them. They feel like some things are too complicated, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I never know how to answer this question because, <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, like my dad called me today and was like, who should I be voting for? And I'm like, dude, you're 75. Like, <laughs> like, you don't need me to tell you. But it's because, and my dad is very politically astute, but, you know, there's so much noise. Um, it's hard to sort of tune that out. I think what I have been saying to people when, when asked this question lately is simply, Vote for the people that you know you can sit at your table and break bread with and they will hear you. That is not everybody on the Democratic ticket and that is not everybody on the Republican ticket. I am moving away from party lines a lot more. And I think you will see that with a lot more millennials, a lot of Gen Z, they're gonna be independent voters. Um, because I will say, you know, I certainly believe in smaller government. I, I believe in fiscal responsibility. I do not believe in the social uh, social aspect that the current GOP um, believes in. 
I believe that th that we are an inclusive society and that everyone should have the right to um, have this quote American dream, whatever your dream looks like. Um, but you know, I just I think the takeaway for me for these past cycles has been who that is running for office right now could I invite into my home and I feel safe enough to be vulnerable to talk to them about my fears and my wins and not feel like I am being forced to partake in their idea, that they're really just listening to me. I don't know what that looks like for everybody. I know in this house, for me, it looks like, you know, Stacey Abrams. It looks like that. Um, you know, it looks like Ruzie Louis-Jean. Um, you know, women that I, I certainly know want to do the right thing and it's hard to cut out the noise and you know i'm hoping stacy abrams pulls it off on tuesday i don't think it's going to happen unfortunately um and that's you know this woman saved the world literally saved the world <laughs> and and her own state is just they're trickling in the votes i hope i'm wrong Right, Jacinto Van Zandt. I, I'm going to give you a title of political maven. Uh, <laughs> I feel like political commentary is not enough. Um, I'm going to pour myself a little drink. I have a little bar cart here in my, in my there room. There you go. So you I'm going to pour myself a little drink now. The queen of, of, of spilling the politics Prosecco, yes. you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I am, I'm certainly happy to talk to you about this anytime. And uh, I just hope people come out to vote, right? Like it's, it's so much bigger than, than you and me and anybody else. And, and these people are not celebrities. They work for you. Remind them of that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Great. All right, girl. All right. I thank you. Many thanks to Jaquita Van Zandt of the Politics and Prosecco podcast. For more Common Narrative, hit us up on social at Common Narrative and tune in every Monday, 1 to 3 on Spark FM. Find past episodes on Apple Podcasts. I'm Crystal Haynes. We'll see you next time. Take care of each other.